2: Live from the Nasdaq market side overlooking New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. I'm Melissa Lee. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Karen Feinerman, Tim Seymour, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, the four most important charts in the market according to our traders. With the sell-off showing no signs of letting up, each of the traders is bringing us the one thing they're watching to see where the market is headed next. Plus, the real read on the reopening. Check out the After Hours Action in Booking Holdings and Live Nation. Both stocks on the move right now on the back of their earnings. The calls are underway. We'll tell you what they're saying about the path forward post-pandemic. And later, Bitcoin briefly bouncing above $38,000 despite the recent market pullback. We'll break down what is driving the action in the crypto trade. We start off with another major pullback on Wall Street. The Dow closing at its lowest level this year. S&P 500 dropping further into a correction. And the Nasdaq falling more than 2.5% today, closing in on bear market territory. As investors sift through the sea of red, search for the bottom in the market. What should you do? Tim, what should you do?
1: Well, I I think you you always have your playbook. You always have that that list of stocks that you've wanted to own through bad times. And, And we don't get, I think, overly obsessed with technicals. We're going to talk to Katie Stockton, and I think they're always a guidepost. But on a day like today, which is the fifth straight Down day we've had, but that you've actually closed through those Jan 24 lows. You closed on the lows, and you see a lot of charts that actually I think we're going to assess which ones are 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 really broken. But you know, to me, this is a case where uh, look, I don't think we're going into recession. Uh, I know we've priced in seven Fed hikes in the next year. I think we've priced in a lot of Fed. Um, I think we have uh, the dynamics of geopolitics, and we have the dynamics of earnings that continue to come. And companies that are not showing great margins, no CEO, no C-suite wants to talk about uh, 2Q in 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 a way that I think is glowing, and, and that's where equities are suffering.
3: Yeah, today today was a bit of a heartbreaker in terms of the sell-off, right? Because it looked pretty good this morning, and then you, and it and w- w- importantly, the market didn't react. To headlines around the Ukraine like it has been the last couple of days. So you start to think, okay, wait a second, maybe this is starting to get priced in, and then it just collapsed and it just kind of ground ground lower throughout the day. So you ask, what do you do? From from my seat, you start looking for where the bottom's gonna be here. You start looking for when everything is priced in. Tim mentioned a little bit of the Fed. You start looking for when that's gonna be priced in. You start looking for stuff like, hey, maybe Ukraine is less concerning than it was, and most importantly, when you start getting earnings, when you get bad earnings but good price action, that to me is probably the third pillar that I'm going to be looking for to say, hey, maybe this sell off has gone a little too far.
2: Where are we, though, on the check marks next to the two? Pillars? I think yeah. we're two out of three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Guy, does it make you feel better that the sell off mid session wasn't precipitated necessarily by any single headline or worse?
4: I always feel good, Mel. By the way, BK mentioned Heartbreaker. Great tune off of Zeppelin, too, right into Living Loving Made, as you know, Mel, because no. you're a huge Zeppelin fan. No, didn't make me feel anything. I'll tell you, BK mentioned it. We are now found ourselves, I would say, since early, late November, early December, in a paradigm shift. Instead of people now looking to buy on sell-offs, people are looking to sell on rallies. And today is a great example of it. But we've had at least four or five examples over the last couple months. And I think we've fundamentally changed, at least for the time being. So I don't think we're in all that healthy environment in terms of the market. Tim pointed out where we closed today. That's at October lows in the crosshairs. You could see some violent counter uh, trend rallies along the way. But it certainly feels like 4,000s in the crosshairs. And I would submit 37.50 or so is not that far away.
2: Well, that's interesting that you mentioned that level specifically, because that is the level that a lot of people <coughs> say is a level of the Fed put, Karen. Um, Do we think that there is a Fed put still?
5: Do you think there is? I don't really. I I, I don't think there's a Fed put. There used to be. And I didn't know there was an at the money put at the time. So I don't really buy into that. And I think the only scenario where there not the only, but the most likely scenario where there is a Fed put, something else has gone very wrong that would make you not want to be long from right here. But I think the Fed's going to, you know, do what they got to do, which is the opposite of having a put. They're taking the, They're taking the put away. So, um, I mean, today I thought was really interesting. I I also thought it was interesting that it didn't seem to be a reaction to what's happening uh, in the Ukraine. I don't. It it seemed to me to be more Fed focused and valuation focused and just more sort of uh, froth coming out of the market. So. Um, I think, you know, one of the things Brian talked about was good good reaction to bad earnings. That will be interesting. Right now we're still in the bad reaction to good earnings. You know, earnings. If think about <laughs> lows today, that was good earnings. Right what? Why? No to bad or bad, right. Bad to bad, but bad to good. You know, remember we're going back to NVIDIA, which guy likes to point to as a as a real tell, really good earnings and and not a good reaction at all. And I think the stock's probably down, I don't know, fifty dollars from there. So as Tim said, also, I got my list out. I really was looking hard. I didn't do anything today. I'm inclined to do something tomorrow. I'm always early. It always trades lower than wherever I buy it. But uh, there's a lot of things that I do want to buy that I think are just overdone. And of course, anything can trade lower. But I think at some point in the future, I'll be happy to own them. The prices they went out ish tonight.
3: You know, so Karen mentioned the, the fact that, you know, the Fed put is probably someplace where other things have gone wrong or something breaks. Right. So what do you need to look at to determine that? To me, it's the bond market. You look at high yield. HYG. If you really start to see those spreads blow out, that's when you start to get concerned, and that's when the Fed gets concerned. And if you look at the spread levels, that would correlate with 3,800 to 4,000. We're not quite there yet. We're getting there. But that's where everybody's starting to talk about this Fed put at 3,800 to 4,000. That's where the bond market starts to break, and that's where the Fed gets to be concerned. And and I guess I I think
1: about what what fundamentally is different today, or even yesterday, and I know Russia-Ukraine is Mm -hmm. is a big fundamental, um, although So I think we had this conversation last night. To what extent do we feel that the market's action is is really this dynamic? And we also said that the Fed will not be moved by what happens there. It gets back to sentiment. We talk about technicals, but if you look at the investors' intelligence poll, so we're back to, to, to early you know, 2000, or I should say the lows of 2000 in terms of investor sentiment. There's some mortgage reads that are coming out. We had mortgage applications out, down 17%. Look, the housing market has had so much to do with the strength in the consumer and the confidence that the consumer has had. By the way, a place where the Fed is usually kind of pointed. So I, I just think when you look at at least where stocks have, there has been a major correction. We talk about this all the time. If you remove the top five market cap stocks. This correction is not, uh, you know, it, it's, it's actually a technical bear market. It's probably a technical bear market for the S&P when you look at everything else. So I, I just think some of this is positioning. We've gone to some extremes. And I do think that the, the fundamentals haven't changed in the last couple of days.
2: All right. Well, today's pullback of stocks bouncing up against some key levels for the market. So where are we headed next? Let's bring in Katie Stockton a fair Fairlead Strategies to break it down for us. Katie, you say that the momentum is to the downside. What do you see in the charts?
6: I mean, that's really the most important takeaway is that a correction definitely has a hold on the market from an intermediate term momentum perspective. That means that MACD indicator, which is derived from moving averages of price, is pointing lower and it's still diverging. So that reminds us not to be too early in trying to find that that tradable entry point or intermediate term low. That We have seen some oversold conditions return, but not yet for the S&P 500 index <laughs> on an intermediate term basis. It's very, very close to intermediate term oversold, but not quite there yet.
2: Are there sectors in particular that look like they're there versus others?
6: You know, I would say on the sector front, we've seen very classic defensive rotation. We've seen outperformance performance from the likes of consumer staples and more recently healthcare and utilities. And that is not really the stuff of a strong tape as you could imagine. From a bottom up perspective, though, if you look at some of the high growth names, they are deeply oversold and, and that's not even just intermediate term but also long-term. So if we're looking for opportunities right now, which we're not really doing that on the behalf of our clients, but rather we're just kind of watching and waiting for the major indices to bottom. But for those that are interested in sort of building a list of names to add exposure, to leverage the next relief rally, I do think that they can source some of these names that that are long-term oversold the arc K type of names out there that have just been trending lower, not just since January, but perhaps for several months.
4: Katie, when the S&P 500 is making a new all-time high, I want to say in January, I might be off. The Nasdaq couldn't do it. As a matter of fact, some technicians would look at that in a bit of a double top. I, don't think, I think actually the Nasdaq looks worse than the S&P. What, what does your work tell you in terms of that?
6: We have seen relative strength deteriorate, as you could imagine, behind the Nasdaq 100, which is so tech-heavy and mega-cap-weighted versus the S&P 500. It's not a dramatic breakdown in relative terms, but I would agree with you. We have more breakdowns in those NDX components, and the momentum's a little bit worse. You even saw that today. I think the NASDAQ index was down 2.6%, taking out that January low, which is just a minor support level. The levels that we're watching are very much in play as we speak. So for the S&P 500, about 4,200 is a support level that we've been watching for some time. It was effectively tested successfully in January, and now this retests looks like it might be unsuccessful. And that means we see a short-term breakdown. We already seem to have that in the NASDAQ 100 underway. And that just suggests that we have a little bit more room to the downside for follow through before we get that treatable low. And you all were just talking about sentiment. And that's really important. Sentiment does need to get overly bearish at times to get us that low. And I'm afraid we might need a, another downdraft, even in potentially some kind of gap down to get to that point where sentiment is really washed out. And And that's the stuff of those loaves.
1: Katie, what scares me most when I look at the charts, and you've talked about kind of the duration of where we sit in this mode, the the NASDAQ has traded below the 200-day now since mid-January. We haven't really had an extended period like this. And if you look at the slope of the line on the 200-day, it's flattening out in a hurry. We haven't had a downward sloping period in in the triple Qs since 2016. Does that worry you? Is that a place you think we can go? Because that would take out a a lot of long-term momentum.
6: That's right. So what you're seeing is that long-term momentum shift, and it started to manifest a little bit in Q4 of last year. We look at the monthly MACD indicator to that end, and we do have a sell signal in that indicator for the NASDAQ 100. It's a very long-term gauge, so it doesn't really mean anything for the very very near term. But what it does tell us is that we're in a different kind of environment. So I think at, at best we're probably in a trading range environment for this year. If you make a comparison back to 2018, It's pretty reasonable from a technical perspective to suspect that we'll see a year that's very similar in its nature, where we see a first downdraft followed by a mid-year kind of relief rally that's very tradable in nature and very important for folks to take advantage of if they're trying to beat the market, and then another downdraft into year-end. That could be a a good playbook for this year based on that loss of long-term momentum that you do cite. And it just tells us we have to be a little bit more intermediate term, I think, in our time horizon, trying to take advantage of, say, maybe the next two to three month move as opposed to the next two to three year move.
2: Katie, great to see you. Thank you. You too. Thanks. Katie Stockton of Fairlead. BK, just quickly before we move on, I mean, a gap low, gap down lower, um, a big washout if we haven't gotten it so far based on a lot of these headlines, I mean, I can't imagine what's going to get us there.
3: Right. That's, that's the real question, right? But that would be exactly what I'm looking for for a yeah. buy signal. You gap lower, reverse higher, and to Katie's points, even if this is a bear market, bear market rallies can be pretty vicious, and they can be great tradable lows. All right. Well, Katie laid
2: out her charts. It's now our trader's turn to figure out what the most important chart you should be watching for a real read on what's ahead. Um, Tim, why don't you kick us off? What is your chart?
1: You yeah, always have to be careful on the most important chart out there. <laughs> I, I, I'm just going to tell you that if, you better watch FedEx if you want to have some understanding of not only where uh, cyclicality is for the market, but uh, certainly consumer demand as it relates to a lot of the e-commerce trends. But more importantly, I think the logistics dynamics that, that we've seen, and, and we spend a lot of time talking about them. What, you know, With Dow theorists, and we, we talk some Dow theory on this desk once in a while, it ultimately says that the industrial or the transports could be pulling the overall market in a particular direction and and that there is correlation. And and in fact, if you look at FedEx, it's underperformed the industrials. If you look at this 215 level where we closed on the stock today, um, it's really a level that doesn't have a lot of support below it. And it's a level that it it almost feels like the transports and FedEx, which is the biggest transport, is going to pull them down. They just had great numbers. And that's what's
4: disappointing because this stock is struggling. Guy, what's your chart? Yeah, I'm with Tim on FedEx. It's a great one, a two-year low. It's HYG for me, and not that this trades uh, particularly robustly. Matter of fact, it's somewhat of a sedentary ETF, but I think it's really important. And Karen mentioned it last night. I'm glad she did. And we talked about it before we went away. When this starts to move, and it's happened a number of times over the last five or six years, it's sort of the precursor of a bigger move in the market. Go back to the Chinese devaluing the yuan, I think, in the summer of 2015. HYG started to roll over long before that. You can talk about, obviously, 08, 09. You could talk about as recently as what we saw in February and March. But I'll tell you, it's starting to roll over now. And you look at this move from 88.5 or so down to 82. Doesn't seem like a big deal. I think it's a big deal.
2: Yeah, Karen, you did mention it was your final trade.
5: Yeah, Yeah, it's my yeah. final trade short, the HYG, yeah, a short. couple of times. And I think when credit markets start to get... Messy. Right. And rates go up. So it's got two things going against it. Rate move and a credit move. So so it's for me, I think it's a decent hedge. Yeah. So um, thanks for agreeing with me, Guy. I agree with you. (laughs) So what is your most important chart, Karen? Well, I'm not really a chartist. It's more just pieces of information (laughs) that you make a line through, which is CPI, (laughs) because to me, CPI, it's inflation. It is the thing that will just absolutely tie the Fed's hands Uh, on how aggressive they have to be. I think they have to do something regardless of, even if it is somewhat transitory and comes back down, they've already committed to this path, they have to go down it. But if it starts to really get, I mean, you know, well beyond seven, which is even a crazy number, I can't believe we're talking about that, they have to be more aggressive. And I think we all sort of agree, today was more Fed-focused, it wasn't Ukraine. And so CPI comes in hot, that's going to be bad in the short term. Yeah. Beakers.
3: Yeah, well, for me, let's just say it's right, it's right with the Fed, right? So I mentioned at the top of the show kind of the three things I'm looking for, and I want concrete examples of the things I can point to that's priced in. So I look at the number of rate hikes that the Fed is, that is priced in by the market. We're pricing in seven-plus rate hikes right now, and that's in the bond market. So that means that market participants are already expecting that. So that's priced in. World War Three. I put that down there because last week during this Ukraine thing, WW3, hashtag WW3, was trending. It appears, based on the action today in the market, that the market has said, OK, the worst of Ukraine is priced in. So now we need that last thing, which, again, will be that kind of gap and reverse on bad news. We haven't seen it yet, but that's what I'm looking for.
1: It's, it's interesting because three of the four charts, really mine was the one that was stock specific. But I think you all hit on the macro is the most important thing. And, and Guy hitting on and Karen last night on the HYG, look, the ultimate boogeyman for markets is a credit. Crisis, and, and and we're nowhere near that because first of all, uh, we're not. I don't think anywhere near a recession. But think about all the companies that have gorged themselves on debt and free money, and all the companies that aren't making money. Uh, and think about where we were in 2019. We sat on this show and we talked about that that, that triple B-minus tranche or that huge slug of corporates that were vulnerable. And I think that's we all need to pay attention to. All
2: right, coming up, the real read on the reopening. We've got earnings alerts on Booking Holdings and Live Nation. Both stocks on the move right now on earnings. What they are saying about the future straight ahead. And later, a housing alert, that the eye-popping number that could pour some cold water on the red-hot housing trade. All that and much more when Fast Money returns.
7: The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
6: What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash find your rich. Edward Jones, member SIPC.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert in the world of retail. The real, real hitting after hours lows on the back of results. A company reporting a miss on earnings, but a beat on revenue. Karen, you've been pounding the name on this name. What's your take on the quarter?
5: Yeah. Well, I, I the top line was good. Um, the expenses were high, so the EBITDA loss was higher than I would have thought. I just got a chance to look at it very quickly. They talked about um, some warehouse labor issues um, from Omicron, which, you know, hopefully that's a, a one time thing. But they, the thing that I didn't like was the expectation of profitability, I think, will be a year later than I thought. So I don't love that. I do love the top line growth. I do like the revenue guidance, which was higher. But revenue is great, but you also got to get your expenses under control. So I really want to hear the call. I think it's maybe starting now, so I'll listen to that tonight. But clearly been a very, very disappointing one. Anything so far, Karen, that makes you rethink your position? Beside of being down so much, there's that. <laughs> um, well, I mean, the push, I think the it's the push just, out you know, of the profitability
2: uh, target, for one. <laughs>
5: that that's not great but when you think about how much it's down i think that that's i think that when i first got involved it was you know people would look at it price to sales and things like that and and sort of be okay with the not profitability you know this is not a market for uh for a company that's not profitable to trade well right yeah so they have to get to profitability to get it to trade well
2: i mean i don't think many people doubt the opportunity of, of this market guy, but it is—I mean—the bear case has always been about getting the expenses in line. Can you do this? Can you scale this properly in order to actually run a business?
4: I think they'll figure it out. I mean, Karen does extraordinary work, so my sense is she's going to wind up being right. And I know personally, when I go out Chanel bag shopping, the first and only place I Which look is, is, is the real, real. <laughs> Not that that should influence the stock at any. Way. I will tell you. I mean, I think the level in 2020, February of 2020, when everything cratered was, I think, five and three quarters. And it's amazing how close we're getting. I don't think it's going to get there. And I'll push back to Karen, not that I'm looking to bring back the guests, as they say. But at some point, you wonder if this is an acquisition target for somebody. Yeah. Would it
5: be, Karen? She's not a guest. Yes. Yeah, (laughs) I think it could be. I mean, they are the leader in that space. (laughs) What did you say?
1: I, I said you, you don't deserve guest status. You deserve like queen status. You know, you and Melissa. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry.
5: Home team. Isn't it fun though, BK and Tim to be there? It's good, I'd right? Look, I, but I, it, it, but yeah. if
1: this wasn't such a down bear market, I would have come out and hugged Melissa yeah. at the start of the show. And of course, BK. We uh, might even uh, throw in
2: a taste test here and there. I mean, <laughs> yeah. maybe that. There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that. It all is, all yeah. right. We're just getting started here on Fast Money uh, tonight. Here's what's coming up next.
7: The earnings keep pouring in, and these names are giving a
3: real read on the reopening trade. So how should you play it? Plus, we're cruising into crypto, and our resident Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly, is bringing you the truth on the trade, how you should be playing the space next. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back
4: right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. We're getting two real reads on the reopening trade. Earnings just out uh, from Booking Holdings and Live Nation. Full team coverage standing by to break down the results. Julie Borson's digging in on Live Nation. We start with Kate Rooney and the latest on Booking Holdings. Kate.
8: Hey, Melissa. Booking Holdings with a beat on the top and bottom line thanks to a rebound in travel demand. The stock had gotten a boost after hours. It is dipping a bit, so bouncing, bouncing around a little bit here after the report. Revenue, though, More than doubled in the fourth quarter, the company citing travel bouncing back even in the face of Omicron. The company swung to a profit in the fourth quarter after reporting a loss the same time a year ago. Gross travel bookings, that's the total dollar value of all travel services booked, net of cancellations, that line item jumped 160% from a year ago to $19 billion. Bookings, of course, is the parent company of brands like Priceline, Kayak, RentalCars.com, and OpenTable. And executives say they're encouraged by, quote, meaningful improvement so far in the current quarter when it comes to bookings. The rosier travel picture echoes what competitors like Expedia have reported recently, but it did urge a little bit of caution. Executives say it could still see the impact of COVID this year, and it's planning for certain periods when COVID could negatively affect travel in 2022. We'll hear a lot more about the quarter from booking-holding CEO Glenn Fogel on CNBC's Squawk Box tomorrow, 745 Eastern got to tune into that one. Melissa, back to you.
2: All right, Kate, thanks. In the meantime, the stock just dropped up to 5% lower in the after hours. Let's get to Julia Borson with the latest on Live Nation. Julia. Well, Melissa, Live Nation shares
0: are how- higher right now in after hours on a bullish outlook. Now, the company's revenue Far surpassed expectations with $2.7 billion in the quarter versus the 2.05 projected. That's a beat across all three segments concert, ticketing, and sponsorships and advertising. Now, the company's bottom line results did fall short of projections, losing 96 cents per share rather than the 54 cent per share loss estimated. But shares are bolstered up over 6% by the ticketing and concert giants saying confirmed show bookings and ticket sales are up double digits across major venues and they've already sold 45 million tickets for 2022 shows that's 45 percent above where they were at this point in 2019. Plus, they say that sponsorship commitments are up double digits from 2019. Live Nation CEO Michael Rapino saying on the earnings call just now, quote, through the ramp up, we saw demand driven price increases, particularly with platinum and other front of the house ticket pricing, saying fans continue to seek the best tickets and the ongoing rapid growth of the secondary market indicates there's more room to grow. Now, Live Nation shares are up just about 6 percent after Rapino said he expects the year will deliver record financial performance. Worth noting that the stock is now up 63 percent over the past two years, after going on quite a roller coaster during the pandemic. Melissa.
2: Julia, thank you, Julia Borston. Okay, so two charts tonight, two reads on the reopening here. One of these charts isn't like the other. Um, By the way, we also heard from New York City's mayor today. He wants to phase out uh, proof of vaccination requirements for indoor dining, as well as other venues. Target dropping its mask mandate for employers and shoppers nationwide. So we're getting a lot of pieces of the reopening here. What's the difference, though, between these two stories, BK?
3: Oh, I think the difference is that this is the first summer that you're going to have these live concerts again. So if you look at booking what they do, you're talking hotels and rental cars. People could have done that last year. They take their family. They kind of hide themselves away. But this is the first summer that you're going to be at these big concert venues. Just before the show, Tim was telling me he's going to both Bonnaroo and Coachella. Oh, yeah. So that's big. Are you really? No.
1: (laughs) I wish I I mean, look, if my family lets me out. I mean, I've been judging, though, by my concert attendance at 22 already, it's going to be a big year. Um, So, I mean, I I get those trends and I get the the VIP trends. Of course, I can't afford what BK can in the front of the house when he goes to see Taylor Swift. But I do think it's a case where, um, you know, the margin profile of these companies, I just go back to bookings and I'd say, first of all, uh, five or six percent off of its 52 week high. Uh, A lot of these reopening stocks, uh, I think, have been very, very strong performers on a bad tape. Uh, The question with bookings, first of all, part of it is, you know, it's also done nothing overall for the last year. And I think the key here is room nights. Can they grow them north of 10 percent? The valuation uh, is not extraordinary, but I think it's something you stay long.
2: Booking has been fit some starts along with this pandemic, with each uh, you know variant that rears its ugly head, guy. But Live Nation has been fairly steady since the big meltdown in the March at the beginning of the pandemic. So from here on, guy, which would you rather? Ooh,
4: oh, I like this game. I love the would you rather game. Well, you know, Karen Feinerman was early, and most of the time in our world, early is wrong. Well, she was early and right in Live Nation. So I think the guys and Karen. right in terms of live nation and i don't know if my google machine is working or not but they're throttling booking holdings right now and i'm not quite sure on the back of what so i need to do a little bit of a deep dive here but valuation wise it's not really an expensive stock and they really have the eps growth to back it up i need to do a little deep dive as they say to see what in fact is going on in bookings
2: yeah what do you like about this quarter karen for live nation
5: Everything. I mean there's a ton to like and also that they're way ahead of last year and they haven't you know summer is their big season so they pre sold some but not all. And so the timing on when the when the concerts happen and when the revenue happens doesn't always match up but I mean there's so much like I look at you know, my kids, they're dying to go to anything, they'll pay whatever they gotta pay to go to whatever festival. They've been doing that for a little while though, but I mean now it's like people are just busting out and if this, you know, the mandates come off and and they're dying to spend money. At the, they're not just buying the tickets. They're spending money. They're buying the shirt. They're buying the extra beer. They're doing all of that. And the sponsors are really excited. And the ticket prices are huge. And those VIP packages, the margins on those are fantastic. So it's, it's, it's pretty great. Not cheap, though, but it's pretty great. And there's nothing like it.
2: Does it matter if inflation is out of control, or is this sort of a a subset of consumer that's not impacted as much by a higher beer price or a higher price at the the pump, BK?
3: Yeah, no, I think that's right. I mean, this is somewhat of a luxury good. You're going to treat yourself, and you say, I haven't been out in two years. Let me go and do this. So I think this is probably part of the wallet that is carved out, and it'll be less sensitive to inflation. The risk is the risk as an investor is, is this as good as a get, right? Is this summer going to be it? And then things start to trail off. At some point, you may start to see that in the stock.
2: And I guess the question embedded in the would you rather, and I'll go to Tim on this since I asked Guy the would you rather, and you answered... Okay. Succinctly, thank you, Guy, for playing by the nice rules. Job, mm-hmm. um, it's how much is embedded <laughs> in the stock in terms of that big summer reopening and the expectation that things are going to go back and people are going to go out and pay up, Tim. I,
1: I don't think the margins are because I don't think we've really seen them. And I think it's an environment where they, they can price differently and, and would agree, BK's assessment of luxury good items, I think it's a case also overshoot. Uh, we've seen this in other sectors. Why won't these stocks overshoot? And I think they will. And, and I think, therefore, it's, it's going to be a point in which we priced in and we pulled forward and we've, you know, by 23, uh, BK probably will sit in the back of the house for Taylor Swift. But I mean, I do think it's a case where the, these things are going to run.
2: And Karen, lastly, you know, you said it's getting expensive or it's not cheap anymore. It's been so expensive. It's been <laughs> expensive. So when do you cut the cord?
5: Yeah. I don't know. They, I mean, they should be expensive. They have a very unique market position. You know, they are basically... They don't own the arenas, but they own them in terms of being able to own the concerts that go through the arenas. They're just it's not a recreatable asset, I think. So it should trade at a premium. It does. But I agree with Tim. There's room to run. Coming up, a mortgage meltdown applications tumbling to their lowest level since
2: 2019. So, is the housing trade in trouble? We'll break that down. Plus, the truth about crypto, our own Bitcoin baller, Brian Kelly. He's here in the house to lay out what is driving the action. And if it really is an inflation hedge, much more on that is next when Fast Money's back in two.
3: Get your trades to go with the Fast Money Podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back
7: right after this.
2: Welcome back to Fast Money. Take a look at Bitcoin, the cryptocurrency holding up over the past month, despite the stock market volatility. So,
3: Beakers, what do you make of this? Well, it's actually, it has surprisingly held up fairly well. I mean, it was almost a 70% correlation with the Nasdaq uh, over the last month or so. That is starting to break. Now, what a lot of people are concerned about is they're saying, "Okay, you know what? Bitcoin promised to be this digital gold and it's not an inflation hedge. My pushback on that is it was an inflation hedge, right? So if the Fed is going to tell you that they're going to crush inflation, then you don't need the hedge anymore. So everybody out there, it's driving me crazy who says, ah, Bitcoin's not an inflation hedge. What do you think about what happened when Bitcoin was ripping up to 70,000 and we were concerned about inflation before the Fed said, hey, we're going to crush it? So that, to me, is what's going on here. The Fed came out, said, we're going to crush inflation. Macro players said, I don't need that hedge anymore. So now one of two things can happen. We can have a narrative change where we're thinking something's going to break in the financial system or inflation rears up. Look at agriculture today. Look at wheat and corn. Those are up a lot. You get another inflation scare. That could be the catalyst for Bitcoin.
2: Why, why, when the Fed says we're going to crush inflation, does anybody believe, believe them? I mean, all due respect to the no. Fed, but I mean, in, I in, this, in this area of the world, in Bitcoin, which is a true sort of like anti-establishment, we don't believe you know, central yeah. bankers, et cetera, et cetera. That's why a, would
3: you believe that? That's, that's a great point. But what's happened over the last year with Bitcoin is it's become a macro asset. So every macro fund is trading it based on the economy, what the Fed is doing. That's why we're seeing in some of the other parts of crypto, dispersion. You're starting to see smart contract platforms trade up when Bitcoin is down. But for now, Bitcoin really has become a macro asset. Well,
1: uh, By the way, you know, the Fed said they wanted 2% inflation. Well, guess what they got? you know so i mean they got they got inflation they got it in spades and and BK's, you know, fired up over this inflation dynamic in Bitcoin. I agree with that because, again, if anything, the pullback means that the Fed is in full gear. I'm going to almost be as animated as it relates to gold. People have been like, hey, what happened to gold? What happened to gold? Well, look, gold is up from 1100 to basically 1900 uh, since 2018, late 2018. And I know that the, the move in the last kind of year has been sideways and it's now picking up momentum. There's an uptrend here in gold that, that, by the way, absolutely holds. And, and it, no, it's not been stratospheric like Bitcoin because I think there's different things at work here. But uh, we always talk about where gold has a different argument for why you might want to own it. The core one is as an inflation hedge. Gold is working. Look at the chart from the last four years, and this is an uptrend.
2: BK, when you say it's become a macro, um, a macro trade, that that seems like it makes Bitcoin less
3: interesting. That that's You know, I mean, I've always thought that like ultimately, consensus. yeah, right. It, it Ultimately, Bitcoin, as it graduates from, you know, there, the, as it graduates into a full currency, the volatility is going to die down. There's going to be different players, different dynamics. So in terms of are you going to have these up 300 percent years, probably those days are going away. That doesn't mean the rest of the crypto you can't have it. But, yeah, for Bitcoin, it's starting to die down. And everybody who didn't like the volatility and said it can't work because it's so volatile now the volatility is dying down. Maybe it actually can work. In your crypto portfolio,
2: is the biggest percentage in Bitcoin still or no? No,
3: no. The biggest percentage is in Ethereum right now and a couple of these smart uh, contract platforms.
2: Coming up, trouble in the housing trade applications tumbling to their lowest level since 2019. So how should you play it? The details are next. Plus, shares of Coinbase down big this year and options traders are piling in ahead of earnings tomorrow. We'll tell you how they're playing this one when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money, a major setback in the housing trade. Weekly mortgage applications tumbling 13.1%. The Mortgage Bankers Association reporting they are now at a December 2019 low. This drop coinciding with a rise in the benchmark 10-year Treasury yield. It is up 11% over the past month. So um, talk about the impact on, on housing stocks. Guy, is this, I mean, there's a whole other dynamic in the market, and that is just tight supply, which is still well in place in full force.
4: And that's not going away anytime soon without question obviously this market is a little concerned about a couple of things affordability right and the fact that rates continue to go higher and you would think one would think at least I would have thought that a company like rocket mortgage would have done extraordinarily well over the last couple of years has been anything but as a matter of fact the stock closed on an all-time low today I think they report tomorrow after the bell I'm not looking to pick them out but my point is you know, there's a lot of weird things going on I'll say this and I think Karen might agree on this one I thought the Lowe's quarter was actually pretty good. And you look at the level we're at now. This is where we took off from in Halloween. Boo, by the way. And it traded three times normal volume. I think you could trade Lowe's on the long side right here. Why is yeah. Guy scaring people today? Guy, I don't know. No reason to scare people. Not even the holiday on, season. Man.
2: I know. It's way
5: past. Yeah. Well, actually, it's, just, it's early. Uh, Karen, what did you think of Lowe's? I thought I agree with Guy. I thought it was good. I thought, And the street thought it was good. They didn't think it was that good. It was down yesterday on the heels of Home Depot. And it sort of pre-market kind of got back all that it, about that it sold off yesterday. But I thought it was good. And I, I, I mean, they're doing the right things. I think that sentiment has clearly changed. You know, those those mortgage numbers are very volatile, as we can see on the chart that you put up before. But clearly, with rates moving higher, that is a headwind for sure. But they, they see their business as very strong. And I think if the price is trading... Uh, I think it's a good value. That would be on my list, buy more loads.
1: Well, I agree on Lowe's, uh, and we talked about Home Depot's valuation yesterday. Let me go straight to the home builders. I mean, Toll announced yesterday. I thought those were great numbers. They re- reiterated 22 guide. Uh, they said they've seen no pull forward in demand. They see plenty of demand. They see, uh, you know, roughly 20% year-over-year growth. I-, I mean, what more can they do? Stock trades down six and a half percent today. Breaks through uh, at least some some decent support, and probably, you know, at this point, you've analyzed on a two-year basis if you held the stock going into what's been one of the great periods for the housing market ever and the stock's up about 5%. So um, home builders telling a story of something very different, and I think a lot of it is still affordability. I think a lot of people can't afford these houses.
2: Yeah, and I was going to say, for toll, it's luxury, right? And a a rise in mortgage rates not really going to impact that high-end, super high-end buyer.
3: I mean, it it is, but to a point. I mean, to me, when I look at the the housing sector, this is the epicenter of the Fed's error that they made, right? We know they bought mortgage securities while the housing market was taking off. Now, if you want to get inflation down, you've got to get I don't want to get too wonky, but the owner equivalent rent, which is tied to housing prices. So you have to crush the housing sector if you want to get inflation down. You have to get that affordability. So I want nothing to do with the housing stocks in this environment.
2: Coming up, shares of Coinbase dropping hard over the last few months. Traders are making some moves ahead of earnings tomorrow. The details are next. But first, we head out a message from CNBC contributor DeWardrick McNeil as CNBC celebrates black history.
3: I think our country can empower the black community by making sure it has a more substantial role throughout the various financial institutions in America. For example, more appointments and positions at the U.S. Federal Reserve, the U.S. Treasury Department, the Security and Exchange Commission, and yes, more seats on corporate boards. Empowerment means having greater access to and being active participants in the making of economic policy in America.
2: Welcome back. Here's a sneak peek at the Kramer cam. Jim is talking with the CEO of Peloton. Catch the full exclusive interview at the top of the hour on Mad Money. And don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. Sign up now at cnbc.com slash join the club or by using the QR code on your screen. Check out shares of Coinbase falling hard over the last few months. And while we gear up for earnings after the bell tomorrow, some options traders are jumping into this name. Tony Zang is here with the action. Tony, what are you seeing?
4: Yeah, right now for the earnings tomorrow, the market is currently implying a whopping 12.7% move on this earnings versus the 4.6% we've only seen over the past three quarters. And if you look at the implied volatility of the options that expire this Friday, they're currently trading at 212%. That's extremely elevated, and one trader is taking advantage of that elevated implied volatility by selling nearly 600 contracts of the February 25th weekly options, 175 puts collecting about $9.40. Now this is a trade that's basically fairly neutral here for the earnings event. but if the stock is below 175 by Friday, this trader has to buy $10 million worth of this stock. So a fairly bullish bet on Coinbase going into the earnings event here.
2: Tony, thank you. Guy, what do you make of Coinbase?
4: Listen, JP Morgan cut their price target on Coinbase. They cut it to $345, which is twice where we are right now. I, I can mm-hmm. do that math. So Somebody's putting it out there in a big way. I admire, you know the word, Mel, the temerity behind this trade. And it lines up with sort of, if you want to do the math, that 162 or so low we saw on January 27th. Mark Mahaney said it a couple times. This is going to be sort of the bank of the metaverse. Problem is, it's probably far away. Uh, This pool is way too deep for my swimming ability. I
2: didn't think you, temerity was the word you were actually thinking of but we'll let that well, one go. <laughs> this is a family
4: show, Mel. So uh, I know yeah.
2: I'm fully aware. Um, Tim, do you like coin? I
1: do like it. Uh, you can certainly do the ratio or the correlation between coin and BK's Bitcoin, and, and you can see it's actually underperformed here. Uh, the sense that their business is is got cyclicality attached to it is obvious. Um, the, the fact that this is the core, most at least. Right now, they and FTX, obviously, there's competition out there. But I do think that there's, this, uh, there's a huge audience that's untapped for this, uh, this entity. And I do think that's something that's worth owning at these levels.
2: Should it follow Bitcoin, though, Karen? I mean, at what, at what point do you think its business is beyond just, you know, Bitcoin trading? Because there's a lot of other things to the business, like custodial services, et etc.
5: Right. And there's a lot of other currencies, right? And uh, to BK's point, if we move away from Bitcoin, there's still a lot of other places for them to go. So I I like Coinbase. I think, you know, in the land grab for wallets, uh, they're in a really good position. So in the short term, clearly trades with Bitcoin. I think it came public at the very, was it the actual day of the very, very top for Bitcoin? But I think it's an interesting asset. And I think that if we see uh emergence of other coins uh, other currencies that um they're in a good position to take advantage of that, too, as well as all the other stuff you're talking about. Staking, this show got custodial skewered,
2: services that. <laughs> skewered, skewered for
5: suggesting
2: that the IPO was the top of, Ooh, of the price on. in Bitcoin. Yeah. Well, who's laughing now?
3: Ha. Huh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're not exactly. laughing. I mean, it isn't yeah. what it is. But It is what it is. But, but those are generally those moments of, cent- of, of high sentiment, right. right? That's when you're going to come out with an IPO. When you think about Coinbase, I think you do have to take a longer po- term point of view here. The the question you have to ask yourself, in five years, will more people be using Bitcoin or less? And if you answer more people, then you want to be in Coinbase because they have got a toehold. They are one of the pillars, as they said, the bank of the metaverse, the bank of the future, whatever you want to call it. So I think if you want to bet on the long-term viability of cryptocurrencies beyond just Bitcoin, Coinbase is the way to do it.
2: All right. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show Friday, 530 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, Final Trades. Welcome back. We've got some great news. The Fast Money family is growing. Our incredible producer Karis and her family welcoming an adorable baby boy. Jacob Miles Leif Presser was born on February 11th. So congrats to Karis and Steve. And welcome to the fast family, little Jake. And most importantly, oh, a Mets fan. I mean, how
1: Already? amazing! Already. <laughs> look,
3: this is a, a brave not child, sure. a I'm beautiful not sure child. Jacob had a choice on that. Maybe he's beautiful. a Red Sox fan. Look at look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Looks right. like my Mets hat.
5: Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn, Karen. Yeah, one that is in the hospital. I don't know why Pfizer is just trading at a ridiculous PE, nice yield, uh, it's too cheap here. Guy.
4: Jacob will learn uh, what (laughs) proper team to root for over the next few years. With that said, I think Lowe's was good. I think the quarter was good. I think you see a counter-trend rally tomorrow. Lowe's. Tim. Tim. Can I say it now? It feels so good to be
1: back. And BK, big, big virtual Uh, hug mm -hmm. and and almost the real. This is great. Good to be back. Good to be with you. And tell you what, emerging markets in in Russia's loss is Brazil's gain. EWZ, 43 percent of their economy exposed to commodities and resources. We talk about that all the time. I do think this is a trade. If you look at the currency, these are central banks, by the way, that have been ahead of the Fed. Check it out. EWZ.
2: Bitcoin baller, who I haven't seen since the
1: summer. It's person. been a while. Yeah, exactly.
3: I think you want to be in the energy trade. OIH, look what happened today. The uh, Biden administration said they may release some reserves from oil, and oil stood there like Lady Liberty in the harbor, impervious to the news by OIH.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching Fast Money. You'll we'll see you back here tomorrow at 5. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now.
7: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses,